Let's look in our Bibles to the book of John once again. This time to chapter 1. John in chapter 1. I'd like to read verses 1 through verse 5. As we look this afternoon at an amazing transformation. That word amazing really does not do justice, does not fully describe it the best I know to do. An amazing transformation. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. Before we begin, if you would, hold your place here. And I want to read from the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8. Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8. Here we're told in the scripture, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus in his essential deity is as unchangeable, immutable as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But in his role in the covenant of grace, he has become some things he had never been before. In his humility, he became some things he had never been before. He had never humbled himself before. He was made several things. Back to John in chapter 1. In verses 1 through verse 3, we read of the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If all things were made by him, by necessity, he must have existed before all things. He is the creator of all things. Two places I'm going to read. One of them is in the book of Colossians. Colossians, and in chapter 1, here I read verse 16 and verse 17. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. 
where it says, For by him were all things created. Once again, if he created all things, he must have existed before all things. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That being true, verse 17, he is before all things. The eternal existence and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. One other place I'll read, and it's in the book of John also, John chapter 17 and in verse 5. John chapter 17 and in verse 5, we have the words of Jesus as he does speak to his Father in prayer. And he said in John 17 and in verse 5, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The eternal existence and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But back in John chapter 1, we see that amazing transformation. The one who is before all things, the one who created all things, we're told in John 1 and in verse 14, he was made flesh. That's an amazing transformation. Before he was made flesh, he existed only as a spirit. The same as God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But here we're told that the one who was with God in the beginning and who was God, who is the creator of all things, was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was made something that he never was before. It did not change his, his deity, but it certainly was a change. It was a change. In the book of 1 Timothy and in chapter 3, in 1 Timothy and in chapter 3, and I want to read verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 16. The Apostle Paul, writing by divine inspiration, wrote these words. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You and I have no idea how great this mystery really is. The mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That is a great mystery of God.
in John chapter 1, the one who created all things was made flesh. Here we're told that there is no controversy, there is no debate. This is a great mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. In the book of Philippians and in chapter 2, Philippians and in chapter 2, I begin in verse 7. Well, I'll start in verse 6 when it speaks about Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Understand the word robbery here. It means something that is not to be grasped. When someone commits a robbery, they lay hold, they grasp something material. They grasp it. They hold on to it. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, something that he had never been before, and was made in the likeness of men. The word was made flesh. Although he was made flesh, keep in mind he was still God manifest in the flesh. He did not cease to be God when he was made flesh. He was as much God as if he were not man, but yet as much man as if he were not God. That is that dual nature of Jesus Christ, God and man. He was God, but yet God manifest in the flesh. Again, something he had never been before. I'm going to mention several other things that Jesus Christ was made that he had never been before. And you're familiar with these. This is just a reminder you might recall in Galatians chapter 4 and in verse 4, we're told that in the fullness of time, he was made of a woman. That's amazing. That's amazing. Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 7, where we were just read, reading, he was made in the likeness of men. Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 17, he was made like unto his brethren. In the book of Romans in chapter 1 and in verse 3, he was made of the seed of David. And then we read in scripture, he was made sin for us. He was made sin for us. And then again, back in Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 13, he was made a curse for us. These 
these and several other things we can read of in the scripture, Jesus was made things he had never been before. He had never been none of, of any of these things. And surely in just reading these few things, we get a glimpse of the great love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being made all of that for us, for us. When we read that he humbled himself again, we have no idea of the extent of his humiliation when he was made these things. I want us to now go to 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, and we're going to read of some other things that Jesus was made that he had never been before, what he was made for us. In 1 Corinthians and in chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 30 and verse 31. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now in verse 30, we have four things mentioned that Jesus Christ was made for us. Four things. Before we look at those four things in verse 30, I'm not going to overlook the first words in verse 30, where it informs us how it is that any are in Christ Jesus. The first words of verse 30, but of him, and that him refers back to God in verse 28. Of him are you in Christ Jesus. It is of God that any are in Christ Jesus. The source of our being in Christ does not lie within us. It certainly does not lie within a church or church ordinance. It's not because of any sacraments. It's not because of any creeds or doctrines. It's not because of a life of good work. It is simply of God and God alone that any are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read the words. You should have them memorized in your minds of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and in verse 4, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. If you are in Christ today, it is because God the Father chose you in him 
before the foundation of the world. Before you had a being. Before the world had a being. Before there was a heaven and an earth. God chose you in Christ. Our reading back in, in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 1 and in verse 30 states it very simply, very plainly, for any can understand, but of him are you in Christ Jesus. No other way is anyone in Christ Jesus if not chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now I'm going to read verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 1. But of him are you in Christ Jesus. Then it tells us the blessings of being in Christ Jesus and what Jesus Christ is made unto those who are in him. The first thing that is mentioned there is wisdom. Christ Jesus is made unto us wisdom. If you look back to verse 19, in verse 19, there Paul did speak of the wisdom of the wise. And in verse 20, he did speak of the, the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world. I'm not going to read all the verses, but you might notice in this context, in verse 17 through verse 23, Paul is speaking about the preaching of the gospel. And I'll mention this. The wisdom of the wise, the wisdom of the world, always stands in opposition to the true preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll notice in verse, verse 21 that the world by wisdom knew not God. The world by worldly wisdom will never know God. An impossibility. They will never know God. In verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The simple preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is still foolishness to many. And I suppose that's true in every generation. But there are many today in our generation who have the idea that just the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is an outdated thing for this enlightened generation. Their thought is it might have been good back years ago, but not today. And they have resorted to a progressive theology, which is nothing but psychology, it's nothing but
philosophy is nothing more than storytelling and entertainment, but not the gospel, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those with this thought and ideal have simply replaced the simple preaching of the gospel. Our text tells us in verse 30, Christ Jesus is made unto us wisdom. Wisdom. Hold your place if you would. I'm going to the book of James. James and in chapter 3. James and in chapter 3. Here I'll read verse 14 through verse 17. James 3 and in verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. In verse 15, there is an earthly wisdom which is both sensual and and devilish. But in verse 17, there is a wisdom which is from above. A vast difference in the two. Wisdom, verse 15, is earthly, sensual, and devilish. I love the but in verse 17. What a contrast. The wisdom that is from above. The truly wise individual of any generation. The truly wise individual among us this afternoon has Christ Jesus for their wisdom. We have Jesus. We have his teachings. We have his example. We have his presence. Our text tells us that Christ Jesus, who is of God, is made unto us wisdom. True believers, those who are true saints of God, are some of the wisest people upon this earth. Now keep in mind, there's a difference in knowledge and wisdom. You may have knowledge to the greatest extent, but not have the wisdom to use it properly. 
one may memorize Genesis to Revelation, have all of that stored in their mind. If they do not have Christ, they don't have the wisdom. They don't have the wisdom. Our wisdom is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 1. Christ Jesus is not only made unto us wisdom, he is also made unto us righteousness. Here is fallen man's greatest need. You will not find a greater need than this. By nature, all of our righteousnesses are no more than filthy rags. So says the scripture. That word righteousness is, is, is plural. Whatever righteousness you may have by nature, in the sight of God is no more than filthy rags. I'll say again, this righteousness in verse 30 is the greatest need anyone ever has. There is a twofold work in our, our salvation. Judicially, and I hope you understand what I'm speaking about, judicially, our sins are atoned for and they are put away by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But that did not make a one of us righteous. It just put away our sins. Judicially, it removed the penalty. The penalty was paid. But it did not make us, us righteous. And I'm thankful God did not stop and just having the penalty paid, he went further, and I've noticed over the years, there's always more with God. He's never exhausted. There's always more. He also makes us righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only righteousness you and I have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We still have none of our own. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Romans and in chapter 4. Romans and in chapter 4. Now I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 8. Romans in chapter 1, rather chapter 4, verse 1. Here the scripture says, what shall, we, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? What did Abraham find? What did he learn? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Next, one of the greatest questions in the Word of God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. 
counted. That is a, a bookkeeping term. It was put to his account. It was put to his account. Verse 4, now to him that worketh, and that means simply those that would perform works in order to obtain their own righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, to the one who knows there is no works at all, that would merit justification and salvation to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The only righteousness that you and I have is mentioned here in verse 6. It is imputed righteousness. God imputeth. God, in, he puts to our account righteousness without us performing any works in order to obtain it. It's just an act of God's sovereign grace and God's sovereign mercy. Verse 7, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute or put to his account sin. Sometimes I refer to some statement in the scripture as just an understatement. But I know it's inspired of God. Verse 8, what a blessing. What a blessing. To the man to whom the Lord will not put to their account sin. Why is it in Romans 8 and in verse 1, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus? Why is that statement true? Because there is no sin put to the account of God's elect. They have righteousness in that of the Lord Jesus Christ put to their account. And to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, verse 8, God will not put to their account sin. If there is no sin on your account, there can be no condemnation. But this is restricted and limited unto those who are in Christ Jesus. And we read 
Now going back there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and in verse 30, it is of him that you are in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation. Jesus Christ is made unto us not only wisdom, but righteousness also. And let me mention this. In the original language, there is a connection between righteousness and sanctification in verse 30. It's as if they go hand in hand. It's not so with wisdom and righteousness. It's not so with sanctification and redemption. But in the original language, it has these two together, righteousness and sanctification. You will not have one without, without the other. I understand that you and I are not as sanctified today as we will be. But as God views us in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are as righteous today as we will ever be in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word sanctified simply means to be set apart. To be set apart. Set apart for godly service. It's not just set apart, but for, for godly service. And this sanctification is not something that happens all at once. It is progressive from the very moment of regeneration under glorification. We are being conformed unto the image of Christ. And it is a progressive growth in sanctification and holiness. And what is it that causes this progression in sanctification? It's not something that is forced upon us. But as Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. Why is it you abstain from sin? The love of Christ constraineth us. And the longer we live, if we're true saints of God, the more like under Christ we shall be, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In our text, in 1 Corinthians 1 and in verse 30, you'll notice redemption is the last thing that is, is mentioned. This redemption covers so many things. We know that we were redeemed not with corruptible things, but incorruptible with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this redemption will not be complete until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. It's a fact we have redemption but we don't have the completeness of it as of yet. 
back in the book of Romans and in chapter 8. Romans and in chapter 8. And I'll read verse 23. Then I want to read from the book of Luke in chapter 21. Luke 8 and in verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. Well, what is that? It is the redemption of our body. When the Lord saves us, he saves us completely, body, soul, and spirit. We're waiting, whether we're alive here or a saint lying in the graveyard, we're waiting for the redemption of the body. We're waiting for that. We're waiting till if we are alive, the Lord comes back, we are just caught up together with him. The saints in the graveyard, they're waiting for that first resurrection and that trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ rise. The redemption of the body. Look in the book of Luke. In Luke and in chapter 21. Luke and in chapter 21 Jesus was telling about the end times. He was telling about circumstances and events that will take place at the end of the age. He had given many signs of the end times. And in verse 28 of Luke 21, he said when these things begin to come to pass, he didn't say when they all happened, but when all these signs just began to come to pass. That and that only is the time for saints to look up, lift up their heads, because their redemption is getting close. When these signs begin to come to pass. Many people say they are are looking for the return of the Lord. And I understand what they're saying. We all should have an anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. But I don't walk around looking up, expecting to see Jesus any moment, because I have not seen these things begin to come to pass. When I do see these things just begin to come to pass, I'm ready to look up. Because I know that my redemption draweth nigh. When this happens, when our redemption is mentioned in verse 28, is complete. We're already redeemed from the penalty of sin. But then we'll be removed from the pollution, from the power, from the presence of sin forever. We'll leave sin behind. No more. You and I cannot imagine a life where we're not bothered by sin. 
but it's coming. It's coming. And when all of these things begin to come to pass, you look up and get ready for it. Because your redemption draweth nigh. Back at our reading in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, in verse 30, we have everything in Christ Jesus we'll ever need. He has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. As the Apostle Paul did write in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 20, we are complete in Him. We're complete in Him. And notice this in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 1, and I'm going to close. Notice verse 31, which follows all these things in verse 30. The things in verse 30 are as they are for this purpose, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If you rightly understand verse 30, what Christ Jesus has made unto us, you'll realize quite quickly you don't have any room to glory in yourself. You will glory in the Lord. Brother Ross, come and lead us. Let's stand together.